Thank you very much. Well, good morning again. We will be uh, continuing on our series in God's attributes. And one thing that I, I continue to be um, a little apologetic about is, again, I, I really enjoy walking through passages and, and the narrative of Scripture or walking through a book of Scripture during a teaching time. But since this is more of a topical series, um, we won't be doing that. As I move through, I certainly will be reading several Scriptures. If you have any questions or re- about the references, where they are, uh, feel free to come to me afterward. So considering God's attributes, we've been asking this question, what is God really like? He's like no other. To whom will you compare me, he asked in scripture. It's a rhetorical question. Our answer should be no one. We could compare you to no one. Must be our reply. We've considered over these last few weeks that God is eternal, infinite, self-existent, self-sustaining, immutable, that idea that he is unchanging, same yesterday, today, and forever. And lastly, we considered that God is extremely part of other, other, incorruptible and infinite holiness. As we reflect on God's 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 holiness, we know that there was a big billion, billion, actually really really a beautiful time. Uh, The rain Uh, rain was coming down, down, but what was going on in the billion billion was just the spirit spirit of God God moving. And as we we considered God's holiness together last week, we visited the visions of Isaiah and the vision of John, of God in his throne room. Where these mighty, angelic beings call out to God over and over. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord, is the Lord God, God Almighty. We heard from the Apostle Paul as he described God as living in unapproachable light. And how Jesus, when he was transfigured on the mountain before Peter, James, and John, that his face, Matthew tells us, his face shone like the sun. I commented that this light was a display of the attribute that we would consider this week. So as we ask, what is God really like? Well, for one, God is glorious. God is glorious. So if I were to ask you, what does the word glory mean? What comes to mind? Any synonyms, any connections you would make, what does the word glory mean? It might not be a word that you use too much in your everyday vocabulary. How might it be used? Any, any quick definitions, any synonyms? Is it good we're doing this teaching? Is it? I mean, we sing about it all the time. Praise, okay. Could definitely be a synonym for glory. Anything else? Splendor. There's a word you probably use even less in your everyday vocabulary, but that definitely would be a synonym. Why? 
Okay. Anything else? Bright and majestic. Radiant goodness. There's essentially two ways we can think of the word glory. Uh, one way, um, on the one hand, we have something that is glorious, something that is full of glory, to be glorious. And on the other hand, there's the matter of giving glory to that which is glorious. And sometimes it seems actually a little easier for us to understand this idea of giving glory. Um, that, and, and it actually aligns with the primary Greek word in Scripture that is most often used for glory, and it has to do with fame or exaltation or praise. It's when something or someone is so accomplished or, or so skilled or so powerful or beautiful or wonderful or so full of splendor, so breathtaking that it would receive praise and honor. It's kind of the idea of giving a glorious thing its due credit. We say we kind of get that. But what does it mean to actually mean to be glorious? That, that might be a little more vague. It's interesting, the Hebrew word that's mo most often used in the scripture for the word glory actually means heavy or weighty. <clears throat> it signifies something imposing, uh, something of great influence, something inspiring, something awesome. Th there's an idiom that we use, and it's, it's often used in a negative sense, uh, but have you ever heard the phrase, we, we might say, well, that person really likes to throw their weight around. <coughs> Does that mean that's an overweight person that's like throwing their weight around? Does that mean someone's actually taking their weight and throwing it at you? Like, what does that mean? What does it mean? Like, that person likes to throw their weight around. What does that mean? They're pushy. Okay. They use their influence. Yeah, so it, in that sense, in that phrase, it's someone who is using their, their authority of their, or their influence. Um, but again, we tend to say that in a negative sense because they're, using, they're abusing it or they're being overbearing. They're throwing their weight around. So we can kind of say in, in this sense that glory has to do with the feeling, with feeling the weight or impact of something powerful. Feeling the weight or impact of something powerful. Merrill Unger says that the word glory refers to the exercise and display of what constitutes the distinctive excellence of the subject of which it is spoken. Now, it may be somewhat oversimplifying, but I think we can think of uh, glory in the terms of, and I think Kathy used this word, of radiance. Or, or I, I, a simple definition that I came up with was the discernible effect of a powerful cause. Last week we talked a bit about the Earth's sun. And we may say that the glory of the sun is the manifestation of light and heat. 
<coughs> excuse me. In the Bible, when we see God revealing his glory, it's often both beautiful and terrifying. It was many times associated with, as, as Lawrence Richards writes, an invasion of the material universe, an expression of God's active presence among his people. It's what Hebrew uh, writers later would uh, refer to as the Shekinah glory of God. It's not actually a biblical word, but it had this, this idea had to do with the, the manifested presence of God. This is the glory that led God's people <coughs> in the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's the glory that covered Mount Sinai with a cloud. And it says that this cloud, as the Israelites saw it, looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. It's the glory that filled the tabernacle when it was completed. It's the glory that filled the temple, Solomon's temple, when it was completed. It's what the prophet Ezekiel tried to describe in a vision. And this is in Ezekiel chapter 1. It's a beautiful chapter. It's a vision that he had of a, of a man-like figure seated on a heavenly throne. He said, I saw from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, and it was full of fire. And from, what, and from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance that surrounded him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. God's glory reveals his majesty. With human monarchs, there's a phrase that's, that they're uh, often referred to. They will say, or not we, we don't live in a monarchy, but they'll still say, like in a place like England, your majesty, when referring to a king or a queen. It's, it's this giving of respect for the magnitude of their position. We still get a small taste of this honor in, in, in the pomp and circumstance that we see surrounded around royal events, right? There just was a, a royal wedding. Does anybody know? I didn't watch it. Okay. But like, like a ridiculous amount of people, like billions? Yeah, I thought it was billions of people watched the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. There's so much pomp and circumstance, this royalty. But any earthly royalty has never, that has ever lived pales in comparison to the majesty of God. Peter, in his second letter, reads his transfiguration, says, We were blind witnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God, God the Father. When the voice came to him from what, and this is what, uh, how Peter, Peter calls it here, from the, from the majestic glory. Because again, again, as, as this voice came out of a cloud that surrounded them on the mountain, saying, this, this is my son, 
whom I, whom I love. <coughs> with, him, with him I am well pleased. By, by and large, our, our problem is that we have far too small a view of God's majesty. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, speaks of the majesty of God and he writes this is knowledge which Christians today largely lack. And that is one reason our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. We are modern people, and modern people, though they cherish great thoughts of themselves, have as a rule small thoughts of God. <coughs> I'm going to be so bold to ask someone to get me a glass of water. Could I, could I ask someone to get me a glass of water? On the flip side of J.I. Packer's quote, R.T. France writes, The glory of God is something which men are to be aware of. It is meant to be seen, and we see that in Romans chapter 1. But to see it is to realize the immense gulf which separates man from God and to fall in awe and worship, even terror, before this Majestic Lord. Thank you. Ooh, and I get candy. Thank you. Another use of the word glory, besides this idea of majesty, is when something is beautiful. And it has to do with the beauty of something. You think about when flowers are in full bloom in the spring. We may say that we are seeing them in all their what? In all their glory. And we say that because we're seeing them in their fullest beauty. John Piper says the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. We remember again, we, look, we think back to Isaiah 6.3 about the angels that are surrounding the throne that are saying over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And they say the whole earth is filled with what? With his glory. Now, you, know, you might not feel that way. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What does that mean? Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. How do the heavens declare the glory of God? How is it that the whole earth is full of His glory? For one, creation brings God glory by the fact that it is, again, as, as Merrill Unger puts it, in obedience to the law of creation, what some might call the law of nature. Gravity continues to obey God, and we can be grateful for it. The planets continue to orbit the sun. The stars continue to be held in, in their place in the great expanse, in obedience to God. The earth sustains life because of 
the perfect life-given balances that God has created and sustains. In steady obedience, all of creation brings God glory. But another way that creation is full of His glory is that it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs out of a book, The Magnificent Story by James Bryant Smith. And this is actually a quote from a man named Michael Kendrick. It says, If God wanted to remain silent about his existence, he wouldn't have bothered creating the stars. He wouldn't have made the Milky Way or Beetlejuice. In fact, he wouldn't have made the majestic Rocky Mountains or the rippling seas or the magnificent hummingbird. If his goal was to remain quiet and anonymous, he wouldn't have created anything at all. Instead, he spoke into existence as smorgasbord for our senses, wonder for our eyes, beauty for our ears, fragrances for our noses, and rapture for our hearts. His creation screams about his unseen beauty. It shouts about his unseen qualities and his magnificence. When Michelangelo painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, he crafted an outward expression of his inner person. In the same way, God's creation exhibited through the mountains, stars, and oceans, an expression of God we can't see, of the God we can't see. God didn't remain anonymous because he didn't want to. Rather, he wanted to display his glory throughout the universe as a gift to man. Creation silently shouts God's invisible beauty. This is why Paul said that we are without excuse when it comes to knowing about God. He has revealed himself through creation. Romans 1.20, ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made, so they are without excuse. One thing that a staunch atheist cannot explain is where beauty comes from, is where the beautiful order and artistry of creation comes from. What would create beauty? How would randomness and chaos create beauty? How would natural selection that only gives a nod to the strong give a nod to beauty? I've got a few pictures here, and this, these are just, and again, pictures never do it justice, right? But just some beautiful displays of God's creation. And it, we could have so many, so many more. And that's stunning. insects could it could it be could it be adorned more beautifully it's a real animal looks it looks fake doesn't it looks like a toy or something 
Isn't that stunning? That duck, does anybody know what kind of duck that was? <laughs> it, it, I looked it up. It's a man, mandarin duck. Mandarin duck. Those are just a few examples. Stunning beauty. Stunning artistry. We were at a party with the pastor this past week. week. We're just, we're just having a good time, and we're out in the fields, and we're playing volleyball, and people are sitting around the fire, and all of a sudden, 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 Has it ever struck you that Scripture speaks of creation, worshiping God, and bringing Him glory? This is out of Psalm 96, 11 and 12. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. This is from Psalm 148. Praise him. Now listen to what he's telling to praise him. He says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds. Stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. How is the earth full of his glory? How is there a discernible effect of an awesome cause? Well, because the earth is ordered. And the order obeys the Lord, the, the, the Lord who created it. But also because the earth is beautiful. Created by a beautiful God. God's glory reveals his majesty. And it reveals his beauty. But consider for a minute this episode. In Exodus, in Exodus 33, Moses is up on a mountain. And he's up on a mountain with God, we could say. And there's a point while he's with God that he pleads with God. He has a very specific request. Does anyone know what that request is? It was a bold one. He said, now show me what? Your glory. Now, this, now, Moses obviously was pretty bold at this point. I mean, he was the one that approached the, the mountain and the smoke and the thunder and the, entered into the cloud when the rest of the Israelites were like, not me. You go for us, not me. And while Moses is with the Lord, he says, now show me your glory. And God's like, listen, man, I'm paraphrasing this. Listen, buddy. Listen. 
You see my glory face on, head on. You're what? You're a dead man. Now, God loved Moses, but he's like, my glory is so great. If you were to see it head on, you'd be dead. You couldn't take it. You'd just die. So he says that, that he's going to pass by him. And he takes Moses and he conceals him in this cleft of a rock. And he says that, that once I pass by, I'm going to lift my hand so you can see my back, he calls it. I get the best way he could describe it so that Moses could understand. And he says that as he does so, he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So did you catch that? Moses is like, show me your glory. And he's like, if I showed it to you from the face, you're dead. But I'm going to show you a glimpse of it. You're going to get to see me, my back, as I pass by. And I'm going to proclaim my name. And as you see my glory, just the backside of it, you're going to hear my name. And that I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I thought, what a marvel that God's beautiful glory is tied into his identity and his presence and his nature and his goodness and the fact that he is merciful and compassionate. Is this not the radiance of the glory of God we see in Jesus? As John tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling, and that word has to do, it's that picture of the tabernacle. Not, you know, it'll always underline it like it's a wrong, wrong, wrongly spelled word that God tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled amongst us that his presence was with his people. And then John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. But not everybody perceived it. In fact, those that did perceive it, perceived it later. It was later on that we're like, oh, now that the Spirit of God has revealed these things, we get it. Many just saw a, an itinerant preacher, the son of a carpenter. For as John began his gospel, he says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. But they understood by the Spirit of God that they saw the glory of Jesus. It's really interesting that in John's gospel later on, Jesus is with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And in fact, Judas had just gone out to betray him. And as Judas leaves to betray, and you know that Jesus is looking toward the cross, he says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Jesus looked to look for the cross with humiliation. Nailed, nailed, naked, humming, humming, criminal, with all, with all that agony. And there, there he saw 
Son of, Son of man, Son of, Son of God, glorified. How, how can that be? It's because though, from, for a moment, it would, it would seem to everyone the greatest defeat. The cross is actually the greatest triumph. It would be the greatest revelation of God's glory. The discernible effect of a most powerful cause. As Jesus didn't have his life taken from him, but on his own accord he laid it down. As a sacrifice for our sin. The perfect son of God that would win. That he would win our salvation. That he would triumph there over your sin. Even today's sin. Even tomorrow's sin. Even yesterday's sin. That he would triumph there over your sin. That he would triumph there over your death. That all you need do is turn to him in repentance and faith. And that triumph becomes your triumph. That he would win. And that God would manifest his glory there on the cross. Through his love, through his mercy, through his grace. And a lonely, bloody cross from Calvary. The greatest display of God's glory. The resurrection would come three days later. The ascension 40 days after that. Jesus would be, as he prayed to the Father in John 17, he would receive the glory he had with the Father before the world began. But it all had to go through the glory of the cross. That discernible effect of a most powerful cause. So as we consider God's glory, the radiance of his manifold perfections, the discernible effect of an infinitely powerful cause of majesty, of beauty, of mercy, what should our response be? I think it boils down to this. We need to transition. As we put our faith in Christ, as we walk with Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to transition from those who need to take glory to those who are willing to appropriately give glory. From being glory takers to being glory givers. Isaiah 42, 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. We need to stop saying in all our insecurity, because that's what it is. It's that weird concoction of pride and insecurity that we do ourselves and we say to everybody else as we act out, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, tell me I'm so important. And instead, as we find our security and our identity in Christ, as sons and daughters of the almighty God, we could say, look at him. Isn't he glorious? It's what I was created for. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, there's this beautiful picture of all of God's people being brought to him. 
And it says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Everybody. This includes you if you have your faith in Jesus. And he says, whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. So as creation glorifies God, the mountains, the cliffs, the hills, the grass, the fish, the the grasshopper, the duck, the tiger. Does the tiger even know that through his stripes and his beauty and his majesty that he's glorifying and worshiping God? He just does it in who he is. With them, I need to echo my worship to God. Someone once asked me, and I I never forget, and it was a really honest thing to say. They said, what is worship? And, 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 you know, we talked about this idea of bowing down before God and having a life that surrenders and bows down to God. And it's just like, I just don't understand worship. I see people worship even, even on Sunday. I don't get it. But you know what I think? I think if you click catch just a glimpse of God's glory, if you catch just a glimpse, just a vision of God's glory, you won't be able to do anything but worship. You see people in the scripture, when they got a glimpse of God's glory, they fell on their face. Ezekiel fell on his face. Peter, when he, when he was overwhelmed with, with Jesus after the miraculous catch on his fish, came and fell at his feet. If you just get a glimpse of God's glory, you'll become a worshiper. You won't be able to do anything else. Psalm 29, 1 and 2, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. My life should be an act of worship. As I put my faith in Jesus, as I praise and adore him, as my life becomes devoted to him, through obedience, through the giving, the giving, credit, 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 credit is due. You think, you think the tiger is beautiful? You think the little grasshopper is beautiful? You think the mountains are beautiful? They all, they all sing for the glory of the Lord. God has, God has created you beautiful. He's created you with gifts and he's created you with talents. Not stuff that you drummed up on your own. If you can sing, sing with all your heart. If you can paint, if you can sculpt, if you can dance, if you can write, work at it. Do it passionately. Be creative. Do it with excellence. If you have a brilliant intellect, go solve great problems. If you're gifted to work with your hands, go serve, go build, go fix. If you can speak well, go be winsome, go be influential, 
But in all these things, give praise. And all these things reflect the beauty of your creator and savior. Bring glory to his name. For we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because one day, that will come. Everyone will give the, Jesus the glory that he's due. Everyone will. Philippians 2 tells us that because Jesus was willing to humble himself in obedience to the Father, even unto death on a cross for the salvation of those who believe, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. May I suggest, may I implore you, that you begin bringing him glory now, rather than later. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this morning we just want to acknowledge that you are glorious. You are majestic. You are beautiful. You are merciful. I pray, Lord God, that as we go out, we can learn and be refined by the power of your Holy Spirit to stop feeling the need to be glory takers and start feeling compelled as we catch a glimpse of your glory to point to you and say, look at the glorious one. Lord, may we do that in our workplaces. May we do that in our giftedness. May we do that in our talents. May we do it in all the ways you've created us to be beautiful. May we bring you glory. The glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.